Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Route to the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between rural and urban America. It's a Tuesday, we think, checking in from the UK. I'm not really sure what he's up to. Jay Truitt standing by from El Dorado. Are you still in El Dorado Springs, Missouri? I am, yes. In El- good old Eldo. You know, you have That's like four days to, to vacate because you know I'm coming back to southwest Missouri, right? Yeah, where are you going to be this time? Springfield. Springfield. Saturday. Mm-hmm. Bingo. That's good. Springfield's a beautiful city. Andrew, you it's coming not, to Springfield? It's not so, as much. I could come down there, maybe. A place called Springfield near Glasgow, so it's probably from but there you go. Yeah, we can. Think, we we know that Andrew is here, Jay, but we just don't really get anything he's saying. We're only got like half that sentence, but what we do know I now did is get that Glasgow. Yeah, he gave Glasgow a big pimp, <laughs> and. Uh, and the fact that there is a, um, a Springfield in almost every state in the United States, right? It's just like one of the most common names. Clearly, that place by Glasgow, named Springfield, uh, must have had like 10 billion immigrants that uh, yeah. boiled well, out of there. You know, I'm, if you've got a spring in it, well, well then... That, that is the recipe for love. I'm sure you rhythm food is a recipe for love. So, so there you go. So here's the here's the thing. Andrew and I just did across the pond. He did fantastic, and now he just might as well be in a forest yelling out, yelling from the inside. I'm not for sure. We're get we we can hear like about half half. Oh, now we've lost him completely. Yeah, I think it's fine. I think he knew, though, that my real my real point this morning on even being on the show today was just to make the proclamation that because the dollar is now worth more than the euro, uh, that we can call it soccer again. Um, no more of this football. No more football stuff, Andrew. We know that that's really what's got your whole system upset is that um, – the U.S. is going to start using the term soccer again, and it just goes against the grain of the entire world. <laughs> we can see him, but maybe we can or can't hear him. No, we still can't hear him. No, no, he's he's toast today. Yeah. So put that into context, Jay. What did the dollar do, I mean, comparatively to the euro? What's it been? Well, the interesting, I mean, you know, typically it's been in that 120 to 150 uh, bracket per every euro and uh, uh, from time to time earlier uh, in the in the introduction of the euro is even more expensive than that to purchase a euro and it does it does do some interesting things to shift things when it comes to the world agriculture trade because mostly not exclusively but most of the world's agriculture trade is done in u.s dollars right and mm-hmm. I think I think most people realize that, but there are some places in the world that um, us and and the euro market compete directly, right? Spring wheat, winter wheat, um, uh, a little bit of protein sales, a lot in agriculture equipment, 
et cetera, et cetera. And in some respects, so those countries that were buying um, really to, to pay the same price, if they're still doing business in the, in dollars and they were never on a euro in the first place, um, they're buying European equipment a lot cheaper than what they were in the past. And they're buying European products cheaper than they have in the past by, well, you know, maybe 15 or 20% reduction, um, just from the exchange rate. Um, that they're getting a, a, a bang for their buck. But by the same token, you know, everything's gone up 20%. So maybe it's no net change. But if it's no net change as opposed to a 20% increase, well, that's that's kind of a win. But the inflation is 20% everywhere. It's in the U.S. and in the European Union. Yeah, but it, again, think about it from the perspective that, so let's put yourself, say, you're in Saudi Arabia and you need to buy wheat. Well, you've mm-hmm. lost your traditional wheat market and you have a thousand dollars to spend. Your thousand dollars bought more wheat in Europe than it would buy in the United States. And uh, because you could make the transition to euros and all of a sudden you got to take advantage of that decline in the value of the euro. And so um, it I mean, it's a I'm sure it's a short lived thing. Right. Somebody will the central planners and and Europe will try to try to reconfigure. I think they believe that the correct number is something like, you know, a dollar twenty per euro is what they really want their base to be somewhere in that neighborhood. But uh, right now they're just letting it go. And again, um, the big thing for Andrew was is that we we're just not going to call it football anymore because the dollar's worth more than the euro. It is officially soccer. It's going to be soccer. Until they're back to like one twenty, and the pound is like two bucks to a, or two two dollars to a, to a quid. We're we're never gonna we're never gonna give it back. A quid. I didn't know we were talking about. Fish. Yeah. Fish um, now, Andrew. Yeah. yeah. He is. He, you know he's like a, feel, he's like one of those old silent movies. I know that's exactly what I was gonna say. I feel like I'm doing this show this morning with Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> And <laughs> yeah, look at—he's gonna scratch his head like Charlie Chaplin did if he gets out and he starts walking down the street wobbling with a cane, yeah. you know, and spinning it around. Well, actually, makes more want. sense today than normal. <laughs> well, I, that's not I, fair because he can't retaliate no, tomorrow. Yeah, see, he'll he get can't back. Say, he, he can't yeah. say, yeah, tomorrow you'll have go get in the hyperbaric chamber, the Andrew. You're just you're just trying to get in there quicker. I uh, also though I was gonna I was gonna chastise you guys f- for uh, um, the uh, on across the pond this morning you were talking about electric tractors and there's and we're I we're talking about the, the big green machine that is implementing I, stupidity. Okay, uh, so I I saw that I also saw all the supporting comments of that. Um, I would just say I would just say one thing. I think to make a blanket statement about electric electric driven um, farm equipment probably is uh, is way premature. Um, mm-hmm. Some some pieces of equipment probably it'll never make sense, but an electric an electric motor um, is such a much more efficient driver of torque 
than most of the engines that we have. The question is, can somebody solve the problem of generating that electricity or recharging the batteries or doing whatever, right, to make that work? And I, I for one, um, after, after seeing some of the, uh, the, uh, uh, going to a couple of places and seeing some of this advanced work that they're doing in semis, uh, with electric and electric hybrid engines, I'm, I actually have become convinced that there are some roles in agriculture where the electric, the electric, it, the electric power, uh, equipment, so the things that are pulling and driving equipment through the field might make uh, a huge amount of sense, and we might actually like them more. Yeah, but there's one problem, and you mentioned it leading up to that, is that we are destroying our ability to produce electric. So at a time that we are mm. exponentially oh, yeah. increasing demand for electricity, we're eliminating electricity production. Wait a minute. We don't produce electricity. We capture electricity. Right. Right. I, and I, I do agree with that as well. Right. That, and, um, I, I almost double down on the concept of one of the things that we started looking for here. And this isn't new, right? If you go all the way back to the very beginning of the Bush administration, um, in the time period when I was working, you know, really closely with them on a day to day for their priorities for the tax incentives, one of the big things that George Bush, who I'm just a semi fan of today, as opposed to uh, a, a big fan of, but um, one of the sm smart things that Mr. Bush wanted to do and tried to push um, from an agenda perspective was to build a new grid. And back then, even, it was an $800 billion uh, yeah. initiative, right? We have a grid that's designed basically for residential use. The max capacity for most residential homes is to run your HVAC system mm -hmm. and a refrigerator at the same time, right? I well, Jake, you got to hold that refrigerator yeah. thought. Put it on ice. We'll be back with more roll route right after this. Details about the certified Piedmontese system can be found at LoneCreekCattleCo.com. It's as simple. Use the Lone Creek sires on your cows. Then, once you verify they're sired by those bulls and they have a copy of the myostatin gene for tenderness, you get paid a premium. We're talking about $180 over market price. That's at a six-weight calf. Full details can be found by going to the website, longcreekcattleco.com. Welcome back. Roll out. Trent Lewis alongside the mute one to be heard from today. Just going to be seen. <laughs> and uh, Jay Truett, he's blaming me, but you and I seem to be right. getting along just fine. Yeah, no, I think so. No, it... So listen, let me quickly wrap up that point, right? And it is literally just that we've known for about 30 years that the grid was designed for something other than even what we're doing to it today. Forget about plugging in all of our electric vehicles at some point, right? Um, what, what happens though when we, uh, when we just add all the devices and the internet and the things that we all have in our homes today that are driven by electricity? Um, while a bunch of our TV is more efficient, right, and our microwave is more efficient, uh, the truth of the matter is that um, we're just using a lot more 
a lot higher kilowatt usage. And and it the the big issue, right? That's one of the problems with this whole uh, green only kind of uh, electricity production in the United States concept is that it doesn't even allow us to make that transition completely. So I, I, I'm not ready to dismiss the concept. And I, I honestly can't imagine a day. Um, and I know that most, a lot of people in, in uh, rural America um, uh, just don't like this idea, but I have seen for myself how you can utilize solar energy on on boats. There are boats that go all the way across the ocean only on solar energy, right? That it supplies their electrical mm-hmm. needs. Those are minim- minimalized and they may, some of them are sailing vessels, but sailing vessels that also motor part of the time. And, and it's possible to make those transitions. Is that cheaper or better for the environment? See, that's a whole different conversation. But the efficiencies that that have that have come about in using utilizing solar panels, and if we were to take all the roof space that we have on the average American farm and convert that to energy production, there's some value in that. Is it cheaper? No, I'm not saying it's cheaper. But I think the 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 day of us thinking that cheap energy is like uh, uh, something that we take for granted. Um, those days may be long gone. Is it better than not? Is it better than? Is it cheaper than six dollar diesel? Is the question right? Um, we're we're not asking. We're sometimes not asking apples to apples kinds of questions, right? And so, uh, I'm fine with mining uh, all over the world to try to actually uh, develop new systems for it. I'm not fine with the government mandating it, right? But I am fine with yeah. us doing the inventions that create that next generation of stuff. Andrew. And, and I, uh, so no. I'm not going to sit here and say I applaud John Deere for like trying to push it, but uh, somebody has to do that research. And I assume that John Deere is going to lead that field. They usually do. Okay. Why do we need to do that research? Because uh, for no, number two, two reasons. Number one, we've been lied to that fossil fuels, which apparently aren't even from fossils, uh, uh, have a limited supply and we're going to run out. Well, that's clearly not the case. And number not. two, we've been lied to that fossil fuels contribute to uh, greenhouse gas e- emissions and um, climate change. And what's the word I'm looking for where we trap all the heat? Uh, uh, global warming. So what's the reason that we need to move to electricity? No, I, I, so listen, that's, that's the discussion that I think is fair. Do we need to move to it or should we do, must we move to it? I, I don't buy that argument, but I do believe that we should always look for what is the next, the next generation and the next iteration and what is the most efficient thing for us to do? If we if we look at the the, the idea that at some point in America uh, we will have autonomous tractors doing field work um, without a human being on them, which that's within the real that's within the real realm of possibility, and and not that far away. Why wouldn't we also 
why wouldn't we also look at a different power source for those for those implements? All of a sudden, we start taking some of the inefficiencies that humans bring to the table, right, out. And can we remotely control them? Can we do this, that, and the other? I don't know. But I, I just... I do. I, I for one, I'll just be honest. I want to see somebody doing that research and looking at that just so that literally we're not having a, a subjective conversation. We're having an objective mm-hmm. conversation, right? And why not? Well, why not the big green again, machine? It, it comes back to that's fine to do that research and want to pursue that as long as you are expanding the production or ca- capacity to capture the energy, the electricity. Yeah. No, I agree. not doing that. No, I agree. I agree. I couldn't agree more with that. I, I do think that at some point, rural America is going to have to try to figure out, we're going to have to figure this out on our own as well. And I, I mean, there was a, so there was a time that the whole reason that you, uh, you, uh, one of the biggest advantage to living in rural America, right, was that we had cheap, cheap electricity. Right. There was a day that was true in a lot of states, not all states, Mm -hmm. but in a lot of states. And if you look, it was the states that were like dramatically increasing their production. And that's where we came up with electric uh, uh, augers and elevators and and even dryers initially before we went back to natural gas on them from a cost standpoint. But we were we were moving elect moving grain around this country largely by electricity once it left the the farm it was an electric uh elevator that put it into a train that was a hybrid train a diesel powered hybrid that was using electric motors really to to pull that train around as well and oftentimes we'd put it on a ship that was uh, uh for all practical purposes a hybrid as well using turbine engines to drive electric motors on the propellers that were driving driving it across the ocean. I again, I just don't I think I I get your point and I think your point is spot on. I'm not really even arguing. I just wanted to put put like one more point right. out there. And I think it's the reason why we all ought to be lobbying pretty hard to to make sure that when this new grid gets built that they don't do the new grid the way they did the internet which is basically leave out rural America for the first 20 years of it. Because then we'll be behind the power curve again. Well, interestingly, all of this, uh, I'm using air quotes, green energy, mm -hmm. i.e. electricity, started in rural America. We still have windmills that water cows. Yep. Yep. We use solar fence chargers all the time. So mm-hmm. I'm not sounding like a hypocrite because while I use that technology of yesteryear, I don't transport it. I use it right there. And it right. seems to me that when you have electricity generated by natural gas or coal, you can transport it efficiently. When it's generated by wind and solar, there's no transportation, transport lines. You eliminate all the efficiencies. Yeah. Agreed. Right. So it would. So again, that's the reason I bring up the grid in the first place. It would seem that finding new efficiencies in in the transport of electricity solves a mm-hmm. whole lot of the problem. Um, the next the next part of the problem, though, is for us to have some real conversations about things like nuclear power plants, 
uh, in addition to using coal and allowing allowing these uh, energy production companies to do things cleaner because they can, right? I mean, because they can. And do we know that electricity from wind and solar is cleaner? Do we know that? No. Well, in a net, net, net way, probably it's really not. Listen, and I'm not in that. I'm not in that part of the discussion. I, right. I'm not saying I don't care because I do, <laughs> but I will say this: Come on, let's first figure it out, and then we know that we can always improve on systems as we go along. It, yeah. it, if we were going to kill everybody in the process of of uh, of mining for lithium or uh, cadmium minerals or whatever it happens to be, right that we're um, that we're trying to put together here. Um, I, I'd probably have a different perspective, but we're not. We're 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 capable of mining um, most most products in a responsible way if that's what we desire to do. Yeah, roll out. We desire to be halfway through, and we are. We'll be back with the second half after this. Dr. Nathan Bryan continues to provide the answers, whether it be about the atmosphere, because, you know, 90 or no, excuse me, 78 percent of the atmosphere is nitrous oxide, takes lightning to make nitrate in the soil. And that's the kind of explosion you get when you take the nitric oxide supplementation. It's not like hitting it with lightning, but I do it every single day. And I know that it feeds your brain. It feeds your heart, feeds your immune system. It provides stability in all of those areas. NO2U.com, the full bit of science behind it, NO2U.com. Put Trent as your coupon code when you order. Welcome back. Rural Route. Trent Luce alongside Jay Truett, Andrew Henderson. Uh, he's gone. He, he gave just up gone. on getting this fixed. We, uh, we gave up on him finally today. Hey, listen, I do have something, right? So all the, we, I think everybody in the United States has heard by now about the tragedies that are going on in Kentucky, right? With the floods. And I mean, they've, it started in, in, um, uh, in the city of St. Louis and now has just kind of stretched straight east across, um, the hill country of Kentucky that they've just had horrendous floods. And obviously there's, there's sad things uh, uh, that have taken place, hor- horrible things. Number dozens of people, uh, it looks like, have lost their lives, if not more, and and that's that's tragic. But there is kind of just a, a one funny thing that came about, and and I don't say this because I have anything against these people. I think one of the coolest things that we've ever done was the people, the company, Answers in Genesis that built the, the ark in Kentucky, in Petersburg, uh, Kentucky, um, it flooded and there's almost, a, <laughs> they're having to sue the insurance company because <laughs> the insurance company didn't want to pay for uh, the, uh, the damages that came about. But apparently there was a, a, a landslide that closed the road a couple of years ago. And, uh, just in the middle of all of these rains this year is when the case finally actually comes to bear. And the judge is looking at him like, wait a minute, though, you built an ark. 
and it's like the real art. <laughs> and a flood did what? Right? But it, it wasn't the actual arc itself. It was that the hillside ran off and yeah, and two or three years ago. But it's kind of, I mean, it's just kind of funny. It's coincidence, right? The timing couldn't have been worse for the case to really come before a judge and start making news now. But which the part, part of that story that jumps out at me, which is often far too true. You buy insurance, you pay for it year after year. And then when you actually need it, you have to sue them to get them to do it. Yeah, Why is that? Yeah. Uh, you got me. I've been there, done that. Right. And so I don't know. I've, it seems, it seems the same thing, you know, in the healthcare world on health insurance. Uh, if you are, if you are aggressive enough with your own health insurance company, it'll be amazed. You'll be amazed at what they will pay. Right. But most people just aren't. They, they, uh, they assume that it is what it is. But, uh, if you, uh, if you're willing to take them to task and force mm-hmm. them to challenge and go through the process, you'll all of a sudden find out that, oh, wait, my hospital bill was much less to me than what it uh, should have been. And, I don't know. I, I've almost given up on uh, certain aspects of our society. Insurance companies are. are I, I uh, think insurance is like flea collars. They both only work if you don't need them. Well, and the interesting thing is, is like, so we have kind of perfected some things to almost kind of automate, and they didn't work in the past very well. But we've we probably do a much better job. I would say like five hundred percent better on crop insurance application today than what we did say 15 or 20 years ago. Right. And some of that goes back to a little bit of the discussion before we have better tools. Right. And they can Mm -hmm. evaluate it a lot more accurately. Um, There were a lot of, we have to all admit all of us in agriculture have to admit there were a lot of people that were scamming crop insurance too, from time to time. Maybe it still happens, but still happens. Yeah. But, I think it's less and it's less because it's harder it's harder to actually do it today, right? There's a satellite image somewhere in somebody's data bank today that shows oh, what the story. crop really looked like. And so you can't really just uh, say I planted a crop and it never came up if there's a satellite image that can pick up the fact that you never really pulled a planter even across the entire field or that nothing ever came up because you never put any seeds in the box. Right. Um, and so I think a lot of that, a lot of those things have gone by the wayside and that has improved the overall performance of, of those companies. Plus, honestly, um, and I do know this just from some of the work that I've done over the last few years, it's interesting to see how those, how those, uh, risk are actually rated today and who holds those risk today as opposed to who used to hold them. And it used to be kind of a guessing game. And today there's a lot of science and technology that goes into all of that. And so the companies that are trying to mitigate the risk, you know, um, at the end of the day are a lot safer in that investment. And so they can invest in things that help them do a better job. That's a good thing, right? It it just is. But typical property and casualty 
companies don't always operate the same. And for sure, healthcare companies, insurance companies are like the pariahs of society. And uh, we just keep giving them federal money, but whatever. Well, if you, if you want to know how that works, we're with uh, Christian Healthcare Ministries, and I can't I can't say anything but good about them. Yeah, no, but it sh- it shows yeah. you how ridiculous the entire medical world is because the concept behind Christian Healthcare Ministries is that you pay a cash basis. So when we have something done, and obviously we've never had a, a major incident, but when you have something done, you pay for it, and then you're reimbursed. Yeah. Well your payment is a fraction of what they yeah. charge an insurance company. A fraction. A no, fraction. exactly. Yeah. We, we use the same system. And here a few weeks uh, ago, I, uh, 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 and you know this, so I came down uh, because Biden had COVID. I felt like I needed to have it as well. <laughs> he got it and, again uh, Saturday. Did you feel the need to do it again? <laughs> well, no, I haven't yet, but I'm, I'm working on it. Maybe when I'm 80, I'll have it two or three times in a row. And I had a, it was a real mild case, right? Honestly, the only thing I did was lose my voice for three or four days and then I was good to go. But with that, with that said, um, no, wait, no, no, this is, it gets even funnier. Jay said, Hey, I got COVID. I can't do raw route today. Okay. No problem. So for the first time in how many years I go see him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 It comes to drives right straight to the house. Hey, Jay, how you doing? Can I drink coffee out of your coffee cups? (laughs) Yeah, I fed him. I fed him and I poured coffee down him out of all the stuff that I'd been drinking out of and the utensils I've been eating with. No, (laughs) it it is. uh, Maybe that's a well, that's how conspiracy theories get started right <laughs> somewhere down the road. I hadn't thought about that, but that's pretty no, funny. But I thought it was pretty interesting, right? So I go by the emergency room because I thought I had a, something else going on inside my head. I had a really bad headache and I could feel something that didn't quite feel normal. And, uh, and so I go by, I go through and get the little test, right? It only takes just a few minutes for them to do the rapid screen and it comes up positive and he goes, let me do the real test on you. And, and we'll really see for sure. If you'll just wait over here in our little quarantine room, you know, surrounded by the plastic curtain, right? Which feels <laughs> a lot like you're already in the morgue. In case people are wondering, it is like not a good feeling when they push you behind the curtain and it's like that big plastic curtain and they pull it across for the little quarantine room. All of a sudden you get to be creepy. Well, I get ready to pay and they, uh, I get ready to leave. Right. And I use again, a, a, a Samaritan, which is a, 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 a product very similar to what it is that you're using through Christian mm-hmm. ministries. And, uh, uh, as we, as we go through it, the lady looks at it and she goes, well, wait a minute. So you're just going to pay me. And she goes, uh, cause my bill, I think altogether was going to be like $175. Right. right? And, I think 120 of that was for Kleenexes or something, right? Something irrelevant, right? <laughs> Disinfectant on the plastic yeah, curtain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and like $80 for pulling the curtain, but it's a discount because I'm almost 60. And so they, the, the bill is like this giant piece of paper, you know, that is a legal size paper and it's just full of numbers. 
and it's going to be a few hundred dollars, but then discounted all the way down to like a hundred and I think 175 was what the final net net bill to me was going to be. And she goes, well, but you're, you're self pay through this program. And I go, yeah. And she goes, oh, well, then it, it turns out it's like they just charged me for the kit. Uh, the test kit, and it was like nineteen dollars and ninety-two cents. No way! Yeah, and they didn't even charge me for the for the uh, for the visit to the doctor at all. And they just started. And I thought, wow! So that whole that whole page of things just disappeared into the wind. And um, I happened to have gone to a community not that I live in because. I I went to a place where I knew that there was another doctor just in case something really serious was wrong. Uh, I could, I could actually, you know, get tested for whatever needed to be done that day. I, again, I thought something else was going on. I thought I was having an aneurysm, honestly, is what I thought. And so um, it was just kind of funny, right. That it turns out. And, and of course I probably had had COVID for three or four days at that point. Um, according to the way they could count the titers, but whatever. Seems like all the recent COVID positives are head colds. Mm. Yeah, largely that. I just had like the worst headache of my life this time, really? and I lost my voice. And there's no, there wasn't really any medication that I needed to take as a result of that. I just need to suck it up and for you know two or three days. A time. Yeah. Time cures all, and a, and a and a no and a uh, chainsaw that'll help solve those problems as well. Along with a shot of whiskey, we'll be back in the last segment of Roll Route after this. I want to remind you about the Wall of Honor. Go to Wall of the. You make sure you put the in front of it. Thewallofhonor.org. There is three things you can accomplish at thewallofhonor.org. One, you can pay tribute and give honor to those that have sacrificed so much. You can submit a loved one that we can put up for recognition and honor. And you can make a contribution to continue this endeavor. I truly believe it's the veterans of the nation that provide our greatest future I'm not only talking about the sacrifices that they made already. I'm talking about the sacrifices they're willing to make and how they continue to lead the charge in maintaining freedom. It's really like the insurance policy that I see the patriotism and the oath to honoring the Constitution. We all need a bit of that. And nobody does it better than the veterans that are among us. Go to thewallofhonor.org. And let's be a part of the solution going forward. Welcome back. Roll route, Trent Loose. End of the final segment. Uh, let's go back for a minute because one thing that I get beat up on, because, you know, I believe in zero subsidies, farm subsidies, uh, WIC subsidies, airline subsidies, zero. We need to get away from all of them. And the only place in the farming world that people get on me about that is in the crop insurance business. Do you have a handle on that to know what happens if we don't have subsidies? If we don't have a subsidy, it's got to take care of itself. Yeah, premiums premiums would go higher. Uh, but there's ways that the federal government could engage in that that don't involve a direct subsidy probably. 
but it would involve them taking more of the high risk acres uh, in America. I, I want them out of it. Yeah. So, so probably the end result would end up being, I would just say that there are acres. We farm a lot of land in America that probably wouldn't be in commercial crop production then. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not for sure that I, I, you know, that's a big, long philosophical conversation then about what does that, what would that actually mean? Um, the, the other side of the equation is too, though, and this is back to maybe our first conversation where we were talking about advancements, right? And how companies had really pushed advancements. So to go back and talk about the people making combines in the world, right? So there's like really four or five companies make uh, U.S. style, North American style combines. And the, all the technology that has been implemented in a combine and planters and connected with GPS capabilities in this country have made it possible for us to um, exponentially increase the productive uh, capability of a lot of acres in America. And um, you've got guys in Virginia, in Southern Virginia, that, that are doing test plots of 500 bushel corn now. And it's because they figured out how to farm inch by inch. You've got lots of people in Iowa and Illinois that are doing that, right? Well, if that's the case, that part of that is because in some of those places, you've got soils that are, you know, the A horizon is, you know, measured in yards and and tens of yards, uh, not in inches of topsoil. And so should we really be growing corn everywhere that we can grow corn? It's a fair question, right? We we do because we use it and because crop insurance with some of the new tools that are available, we can we can we can make that work. But you know, maybe we should be growing something else on a lot of those acres other than corn, straight corn and beans. I don't know what it is, right? Uh it, it tends to be corn and beans because that's what was the best option available. But if you take if you take the premium subsidy out of crop insurance, there's probably a lot of people would not grow a corn crop on a lot of acres that do currently. And there's probably a lot of people growing cotton that wouldn't otherwise grow it. Just in my lifetime, on I remember acres. the very first trip I made to South Dakota. And they were talking about, you know, South Dakota, just a, a marginal rainfall, not a good, even in my country. Mm-hmm. In my country, we're 28, 20 inches a year without irrigation. You don't grow a corn crop. Mm-hmm. And in South Dakota, the first time I went there, they didn't even plant soybeans. I mean, it was not a, the soybean state at all. They're planting right. sunflowers because sunflowers grew on less and maybe some Milo. Now, South Dakota plants more soybeans than Ohio. Yeah, there's, uh, and some of the largest, now these are large counties too, granted, but some of the largest soybean production counties in America end up being in the Dakotas now. And that, who would have ever dreamed that, right? right. 25 years ago, it wouldn't have been the case. Part of that's changes in, in what happened with the genetics on soybeans, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, give a bunch of credit to the people that, that, uh, are growing seed 
uh, and, and developing new varieties. But I think one of the things that makes that possible from a financial standpoint for people is that they know that they have that backstop of, of, of crop insurance. And so I, I, uh, I, I am a, I'm a pretty conservative person. I'm not very conservative and very main, uh, in, in very, or I'm not, uh, very liberal on the spending side for very many things. I don't think it's good for government to be involved in hardly anything. I do believe, however, and this is where you and I probably part ways, uh, to a certain degree that from a national perspective, and the economic stability perspective, we're smarter to have uh, a stable food supply and a food system in place than not. And I do believe that even more so than every other aspect, that's one of the changes that we've made. In 1889, we didn't have any protections and we didn't bail anybody out. And the result of that was we had a big drought across the United States. And we kind of had a breakdown in our infrastructure back then because of a, a little economic wobble, a big economic wobble, and people died. Uh, nobody really knows how many, but it wasn't hundreds of thousands. It was a lot of people died in America, and a lot of them died from starvation. And I've watched people dying of starvation in different places in the world, and I don't really think that's too... That's something I ever want to be a part of. With that, with that said, what you said is still true. Government screws up everything it engages in. It alters its path. And I think we just talked about a way that government being involved in food production altered the path. What are we not growing in North and South Dakota that we used to grow in North and South Dakota, uh, as opposed to, you mm-hmm. know, vice versa. Right. And so I, you know, I'm not for sure that I know really what the answer is. At one point, you know, we started growing beans because it was more profitable than spring wheat, right? And wheat. And that's not necessarily always the case today now because wheat's kind of caught up genetically and, and made some huge improvements. But we well, also I can tell you, go ahead. In my county, since Kelly and I got married in 1993 and we got married in Loop City, Nebraska, the biggest change has been growing grass to growing corn. Yeah. Because there are many people that have put, I mean, I guarantee it's well over 200 pivots that have gone in since we got married in 1993 in Sherman County, Nebraska. That's just our county. It's not big county. And, and you have to ask yourself why. And I bet as one of the factors involved in that was, what would the what would either FHA or production credit or some other government backed entity mm-hmm. uh, actually loan money to do versus what did they not like to loan money to do? And for about fifty or sixty years in in America, while they would never say it, none of those entities wanted to loan you money to be in the cattle business. No, they loaned them money to put in a circle yeah. pivot irrigation. Absolutely. And now so the same doing. entity that loaned the money to put in circular irrigation is telling them they have to use less water. Yeah. It's in, and also, honestly, the same entity that is behind that entity, it, the same entity is also uh, still backing 
uh, all the loans to be involved in that kind of agriculture production, right? Because um, yeah. USDA is is like the entity that is in all all of those angles, and so, I yeah, I'm not for. That's kind of a that's a that's one of those right no answer kind of questions I think in some respects, but philosophically. I do think at some point we have to figure out how to answer those, Trent. And all of us in rural America need to wake up at some point and look at look in the mirror and look at that person in the mirror and say, what would you do without any government influence in your life at all? And at least have a plan on what that would involve, because at some point this whole thing breaks. It just it just does. It does. It's unsustainable what we're doing now, and it's not getting better. And so when it breaks, it's going to break. And so what are you going to do, right? And to say, oh, well, we'll just plant a bigger garden. Well, that's really not the right answer if somebody comes and takes your farm. Where are you going to plant a bigger garden on your not your farm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and your government-supplied so, housing. Well, yeah, right. And I mean, so are you going to plant a big garden in your government supplied housing? Do you, have, you know, and, and, how do you and if you do that, it'll be a community work. supported garden. Right. <laughs> you yeah. won't, yeah. won't keep yeah. predators out, and the predators won't be the coons either. They'll yeah, no, people. either the predators. Yeah, the predators are going to be human beings crawling around on the ground stealing your tomatoes, not a turtle. So I, I you know, I do think. I mean, I know this gets like kind of dark, kind of quick, but at some point, at some point, this system is going to tip. If history tells us anything, that's what happens in governments. It's happened to, and some governments recover, right? So if you look at Britain is a great example for lots of things. They have tipped. They tipped over a couple of different times and they were able to hold it together moderately well and bring themselves back. France tipped over and didn't handle it well coming back. Um, you know, and uh, the Ottoman Empire tipped over and decided to, to go to war. And so there's, I think that's part of what's happening in, in Russia now is that, you know, they got to an economic tipping point and decided that they needed to do something dramatically different. Well, I don't think it's the U.S.'s style. What are we going to do? Invade Canada, right? Um, that's kind of like dating your cousin. Actually, you know? I think most Canadians would like that at the moment. Well, yeah, I mean, but all the people in Western Canada would just go like, "Okay, we're in," right? Yeah, and everybody in the East, we would we would end up giving away Maine, Massachusetts, and Connecticut. You know. Just, just to like get it over with and let them. You know, have it. actually, you bring up a good point. Let's just draw a line. Where's that line? And go from north to south and restructure this whole North American continent. Yeah, I. Well, they can have Montreal. They can put Montreal and Boston in the same country. Yeah, that's a good. As idea. far as I'm concerned, there's some um, good people in Ontario, but man, there's yeah. too much Ontario that's a mess. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. And we can yeah, we know. can milk cows here, right? We, we we get to keep the upper peninsula though just because man, those are some of the funnest people in America. Is We've the successfully journeyed down the road connecting rural and urban America without Andrew Henderson, Jatro, and I both remind you all roads do lead to a rural route. Don't forget 
Go to protecttheharvest.com for full details about how to empower it yourself. Remaining in the trenches to get you the latest facts on what you need to do to stand up for property rights and animal ownership. Protecttheharvest.com.